Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. So extreme subjectivism would say either there is no objective reality or there is and we can't really know it. Okay, so then what happens to morality then? Well, do whatever feels good. Hedonism or solipsism. We're living in a simulation, perhaps. We can't really know. Why don't you just do whatever you want, right? Well, society tends to break down real fast. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In the last episode, we traced the historical development of how Western society shifted from extreme objectivism to extreme subjectivism. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go back and listen to it. It's easy to adopt a subjectivist or objectivist perspective on the world, and both perspectives will provide you with the comforting illusion of understanding reality as it is, at least for a while. But both perspectives I offer are inherently flawed, and life doesn't support false beliefs for very long. Have you noticed? So in this episode, we're going to look at how this conflict is still developing today, so that next week, you have gotten all the context you need before learning about transjectivism. That's what's coming soon. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. That that explains Facebook and social media. So if I were to think about this from a historical perspective, you know, we started the conversation with pure objectivism. Now let's say that the, the scale is way this way on the subjectism. If I were to think of, and in my career before this career, like three or four careers ago, I was in media, so I worked in TV. So I was in, it was in TV news. And in the early 90s in TV news, if you had a story, and we were an independent TV station, one of many, and now they're more corporate, but that didn't really exist in 1992, 93. You would pitch a story to somebody above you, an editor, a producer, and they would go to the executive producer and they would decide if it had merit. And we literally would go through the Edward R. Murrow standards of excellence and blah, 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 insert Walter Cronkite, insert, <laughs> is this really meant for the common good? And as a, as a junior reporter videographer, I got nearly all of my ideas just slammed down because at some point they didn't fit. But it was actually a pretty pure system. Like ideas could get to the top, uh-huh. but there was this checks and balances because yeah. we had this filter to go through. Insert social media, everyone is the executive producer of their own TV station. Ooh, everyone. Said, right. And if you have the power of, let's say, I don't know, 50,000, 100,000 Instagram followers, if you're an influencer, mm-hmm. suddenly you don't report to anyone. Your subjective reality can be externally projected as truth 
And if you have, I don't know, a thousand Instagram followers or none or whatever, what are you going to do? Yep. Right. Yeah, that's no why anymore. Facebook, that's why you can't be, that, that's why you can't argue on Facebook. It's like, who are you to tell me? Right. Yes. Well said. You, you took it a little further than I had in my own head that social media is actually a structure that supports subject subjectivism. Yeah. And you, you just saw the punchline of where we're going. So well done. You've connected a lot of dots, but let me connect a few more. <clears throat> Thank okay. you for that. So then after Locke came Immanuel Kant, born in uh, 1724, and he taught that an objective reality still existed as the people before him did, but the mind's distortion of it, the subjectivistic point of view, renders it unknowable. Now, this is really important, that ob- the objective reality is not knowable because of the way the mind works. Back to the text card, whatever your belief, you will find evidence to prove it true. Immanuel Kant will agree. He was the guy who cooked up that idea, not my potential friend on Facebook. Okay. But now you're starting to see the historical evolution of evolution of consciousness context for that idea. Rather than just taking it on face value, you can see it in an overall development of humanity, which as Ed just pointed out, which is the point of this sort of talk is that we're in a subjectivistic world right now. Overly. The Kant thing? You're asking to hear that again? So Immanuel Kant, he's, that he said that an objective reality existed, whatever that is, Christians, Jews, Hindus, they all have their own version of it. An objective reality existed, but the mind's distortion of experience renders it unknowable. And this is what you'll see in some objectivistic paradigms. They'll, some people say, well, there is no objectivity. We'll get to that in a second. There is no objectivity. That's what um, uh, Kierkegaard uh, taught. Uh, but some people are sort of on the fence. Well, there is a way things are, but we can't know it. Or we can know it a little bit. Or we need to constantly pursue asymptotically, getting closer and closer to it, and want to know it, which is how I hold it that there is an objective reality and it's our responsibility as human beings to want to get to know it and do whatever we can to abide with it. That's how I hold it personally, which is what Zen would say. So again, um, so the mind's distortion of uh, objective reality renders it unknowable. Okay, well, if it's unknowable, then what to do? Does it not matter at all? Are you free to just go with whatever empowers you? Depends on which philosophy you follow. You see? So extreme subjectivism would say either there is no objective reality or there is and we can't really know it. Okay, so then what happens to morality then? Well, do whatever feels good. Hedonism. Or solipsism. We're living in a simulation, perhaps. We can't really know. Why don't you just do whatever you want? Right? Well, society tends to break down real fast. You know, Descartes, I didn't put Descartes in here, but I will. I think therefore I am is mostly completely misunderstood of what that actually means. He was one of the pioneers of of subjectivism. I think therefore I am means what he meant by that was the only thing you can really know that is real is your own inner experience. The simulation argument. He didn't use computer simulation as an argument because it didn't exist then, but you know, what was talked about in those days was, well, it could be that your brain is in a jar somewhere in the future being probed, 
being made to have certain experiences. That all could be true. We don't know, right? That's the matrix argument. We could be living in a simulation and we don't know. We can't absolutely know. Can't absolutely know. Right? So how is one to live one's life then? We're all talking, we're talking about the basis of morality because however, whatever you believe about how you make decisions on a day-to-day basis, what you decide is good or bad, how to treat people, not treat people, the work ethic you have, it's all based in this stuff. And that's what most people don't understand about philosophy. Everyone is a philosopher. You have a set of beliefs, assumptions about reality, and I can help you discover them. Sometimes that's what I do with people when I work with them one-on-one. You have assumptions about reality. And so you are a philosopher, you just may not be conscious of it. You're testing a philosophy right now. Some of it you're conscious of, some of it you're not. And you learn through trial and error what aspects of your philosophy don't work. Because life, it seems to me, doesn't support false beliefs. For example, if you believe that killing all of the Jews empowers you, life eventually is going to catch up with you. Because there's a bunch of other people in the world who think that's a bad idea. And they're going to wage war against your war. And you're going to die in a ditch. Right? To me, that's the consequences of life. Now, did Hitler need to learn some personal lessons for himself as a soul by playing that all the way out? Sure. So in some meta, big perspective way, did he need to do that? How do we know he should have done that? Right? Back to inquiry. How do we know he should have done that? Because he did. Okay. So let us all learn a lesson. Because if everyone on the planet learned the lesson from that one, then no one would post on Facebook, don't ask if you're right, ask if your belief empowers you, you see? That's the lesson, pay attention. Okay, how do we know at least one person shouldn't have learned that lesson? Because they didn't. You see the balance of subjectivity and objectivity here? That's subtle. It's easy to live rigidly in an objective world. And it's easy to say there's no objective reality, I get to do whatever makes me feel good. Both of those are easy. Finding the balance in between, that's the real challenge. So let me continue here. So then after Kant, uh, Soren Kierkegaard was born in 1813. Now we're in the 19th century. He was dubbed the father of existentialism. And existentialism is an approach that would proliferate and emphasize the existence of the individual as a free agent who determines their own development via free will. A little over 200 years ago. No, not even. 1840. Well, he had a short life. 1830. So it was in 1830 or so that we started to have the idea of actually it's the individual free will who determines their own development. Do you realize how recent that is? That was like great, great, great grandparents, if that. This is still playing out. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app 
view the full description of the episode and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.